Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Hey there, podcast listeners. September is Podcast Appreciation Month, a time when we share the awesome podcasts we love, as well as share a bunch of love for the listeners that make our shows awesome. Three podcasts I want to love on briefly are Everything is Alive, Unreserved, and NPR's Code Switch. If you haven't heard any of these yet, you're going to love them. Everything Alive is an unscripted interview show in which all the subjects are inanimate objects. You'll have to listen to believe me. It's amazing. Unreserved is a podcast hosted by Rosanna Deerchild and reporter Connie Walker, highlighting the top trending stories from Indigenous Canada. And you don't need to be Canadian to appreciate this. I especially love their first words episodes, where native speakers share words and their meanings from their own Indigenous languages. And Code Switch is a race and culture outlet and a weekly podcast from NPR. And I think about those episodes all week long. Podcasts have a lot of hidden costs, like bandwidth and equipment, and just the time it takes to craft and present great stories week after week, which is why I make sure that every September I'm supporting those shows that mean so much to me. The Children's Book Podcast relies on the same support from listeners like you to bring you new interviews each week with guests from around the world making some of the very best books for children. If you've been considering supporting the show, now's a great time. You'll find more information on how to do that in the show notes for this episode. Sharing the podcast with friends or writing a review on Apple Podcasts is also a super easy, super effective way to help the podcast grow. And no matter how you support, thank you. Thank you for being part of this story and for helping so many new stories reach readers in wonderful and lasting ways. I like to say, you know, you're doing it right when it's not a job. It's just right. like it's something that you do that you totally love. That's the way to do it. Steamed crabs, key lime pie, biscuits, fry bread. Every culture has some kind of argumentative food. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 537. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm speaking with Kevin Noble Millard and Juana Martinez Neal about Fry Bread, their upcoming picture book. But we're also talking about culture and tradition and family and history. We also talk a lot about Kevin's Aunt Fanny. There's a story behind the entire nature of Fry Bread. And the way Kevin's text approaches that story is through affirmation statements of what fry bread is 
and what it means. The book's narrator walks the readers from the concrete and tangible into the abstract and ineffable, and the journey is helped along with great care from Juana's beautiful illustrations. The way the book's characters are in relation to one another, at times following or playing or participating or listening, draws out an intimacy in their togetherness. And it's in that intimacy that the reader is invited into this experience. Kevin reminds us all in this conversation that there are many different ways that people can be native. And I think it's fair to say that this author-illustrator pairing accomplishes that message beautifully. There's also wonderful and robust narrative back matter waiting for readers of any age to explore and expand their knowledge even further. In short, this book has a bounty of goodness to go around, and I think you will find yourself quite comforted and cared for and brought into the story, allowing space for you in turn to comfort and to care for and to bring closer those cultures and customs of our indigenous brothers and sisters so that they may be honored and respected. Please welcome my guests, Kevin Noble Millard and Juana Martinez Neal, the author and the illustrator of Fry Bread. I'm Kevin Noble Millard. Uh, my pronouns are he and him. And uh, right now I am a debut uh, children's book author, Fry Bread, with Juana Martinez Neal coming out uh, in October. And I'm also a law professor at Syracuse University and a contributor to the New York Times. So, author teacher, journalist. I have a lot of slashes in there, or hyphens in there. Yes, hi, I am Juana martinez Neal. Um, my pronouns are she and her. And um, I am the, I am an author and an illustrator. And uh, I am the author or illustrator of Alma and How She Got Her Name. I am, I am also the illustrator of Fry Red, which we're discussing today, um, which was written by Kevin. And that's me. <laughs> Lana, and congratulations on on your Caldecott honor as well. Thank we you. should definitely say that. A <laughs> beautiful, here, beautiful yes. book. Here, here. Thank yeah. you. Oh my. I know you know that that is a book of my heart. I love that that beautiful story. And so um, it's always a pleasure to see you adding your voice, your art to other stories. Kevin, my goodness. Can we talk origin stories of how I came to know this book? Because I, I'm going to let you tell the, the good listeners what this book is about. But first, I just want to say the way I found out about this book, and I love when I find out about books this way, is through uh, our, our friend Debbie Reese. Uh, okay, Debbie yeah. Reese of American Indians and Children's Literature. Um, and she not only was excited in this blog post, I'll have to link it in the show notes. She was excited that this book was coming out. But moreover, she was so excited about the end papers in this book. Yeah. So we yeah. will talk about those, but I just wanted to give a little shout out at the top uh, and to say that that in the most unusual and memorable way for me, the end papers were my introduction to fry bread. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> oh, the end papers. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of work behind that. Uh, just I wouldn't even say weeks, just months and months of of input. But the way that this all got started, um, I always made fry bread with old ladies in my family. And so my family is uh, Seminole. And so we all live in the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma. And so growing up, there were, my, my parents had me when they were a lot older. So um, they were in their 40s. And so I always had these old people in my family and not anyone in between. There was like generation, a uh, generation skipping. And so I had two aunts. Um, one was Aunt Fanny and she's in the book. And so she was, uh, they both lived in the country but she was kind of like the fancy aunt. And so she would love to cook. She was a gourmand. And so I would cook a lot with her. And I had a country aunt like who lived on a farm. They both made fry bread. They both made it a little bit differently. They both thought that their version was better than the other aunts. <laughs> but this is the entire nature of fry bread because every native family, like wherever the family lives, how they make fry bread is the best way and everybody else's version is totally wrong, right? So it's just like pizza or barbecue or hummus or it could be kimchi. Like every culture has some type of argumentative food Right. And you're very kind of subjective about like, this is the right way to do it. Everybody else is wrong. So when I was in graduate school, it was the first time that outside of Oklahoma that I'd been around a lot of other native people from like different tribes and stuff. So I was at graduate school at the University of Michigan. And so we have these like dinners all of the time. So people would bring food. And so everyone in Michigan, they were all like Chippewa. Everybody was Chippewa. So then like I would bring fry bread to these things or other kinds of food. And everybody would be like, that's not fry bread. The way you do fry bread is like this. It's the wrong color. It's the wrong shape. You're using the wrong ingredients. And I really took that to heart, right? Because then it wasn't just like, oh, your bread is wrong there's something wrong about you, right? And so like your authenticity of being a native person is being put into question when you are presenting us with this like, you know, very Indian type of food and what you're presenting with us is what we think of as not Indian at all. And so when I decided to write this book, you know, I first of all just wanted it to be about cooking, like with an old person and the family and learning and the passing of tradition. But my editor, Connie Shu at Roaring Book, was saying, Well, why don't we make this something much bigger? And why don't we have it be an allegory to something else? And I thought, Well, I have it right here, right? Fry bread. You know, it's very diverse. There are many different ways of making it, just like there are many different ways that people can be native, right? My family is African-American and native. There are other people that are white and native. Other people are 
native and some other type of ethnicity moved in, mixed in. They might live in cities, they might live in suburbs or rural areas on or off res, but all of these different representations of native are all equally valid. And so this is something that's always been really important to me. And then I think for younger people, it's also something that's important for them, right? Where they're trying to decide what does it mean to be native? And so I'm fry bread as a way to express that wide diversity of who we are as native people. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm brought back to um, Dr. Reese, De- Debbie saying about or reminding about um, that native people are not people of color. That right. it's not it, it's it's that there there are other backgrounds or coming from other places. People of color might be native, but um, when we're making these distinctions, um, to be aware of that. How fascinating though to hear how you brought in this sort of being at odds with <laughs> with other people in the country because of the way the tradition, uh, the way the tradition informs how you make fry bread. Um, and have that being called into question for authenticity, but then turning that on its head and and writing a picture book that says it's not about that, it's it's the other that we're all connected that it's 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 this one thing. The color of the bread doesn't matter. The shape doesn't matter. The ingredients don't matter. It's that it's that we have this unifying thing that matters, and 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 the the, the we as a people matter. Right. And it's also about the history of Native people in America, right? Or not even America, just like America, like all indigenous people, where we existed here before, you know, Europeans came over. We still exist now. The history that we had before was very rich. It's continuing to be rich. We're still here. And then we are a modern people, and it's not something that's only historical, only something that happened in the past. So there, I would say there are two reasons I've made this book. One was to talk about um, families and how they pass this tradition on, about the cooking aspect of it. And then the other part of it is just to say there is this massive history that exists here that is so different than what has traditionally been represented in children's literature. So I was, when I'm I'm uh, a parent of two children, one is seven and one is four. And so when the seven-year-old was a baby, I was looking for native board books to read to him. And it was really hard to find a lot of these books. Like I had to dig really, really deep. And then the books that I found by like Cynthia Lydic-Smith were amazing, Um, by Julie Flett, they were amazing, but there were so few of them. And I thought that there are so many experiences and different stories that we should be able to add onto these because the majority of books about Native people were written by non-native people so i would find a you know a million books about like thanksgiving or pocahontas pilgrims you know like all this other stuff but there wasn't anything about like these indian kids like to 
you know, go fishing, or this is how this kid has um, nighttime reading with their dad, right? We weren't seeing any of these faces, any of these stories or experiences that were reflected. So then it kind of creates this idea that Indians are people that lived a long time ago, right? Because you're seeing like, here are these people, these brown skinned people with pilgrims, like, 300 years ago and then there's kind of like nothing that comes in between at least in children's literature and there weren't positive stories there there weren't enough positive stories and so like there is this history of people writing native children's literature majority of them who were not native and so now there's a growing body of literature of people that are native writing about their own experiences like Tracy Sorrell and then Cynthia, Joseph Brucock, like all of these different people. And I think that just the expansion of these stories is one good for native people because they can see themselves reflected in the book, but then it's also great for other people because then they can see that this is a contemporary culture and it's not something that disappeared or vanished or, you know, that died out hundreds of years ago. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro.fm Audiobooks. So, you know I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I am now being asked pretty regularly what I'm listening to. The answer right now is Strange Birds by Celia Perez, the author of The First Rule of Punk. And I am loving this book about four girls who uh, find a cause to take up in their neighborhood, but also find some conflict between the four of them. It's beautifully written. The girls are, uh, the characters are so wonderfully developed, um, each with their own voice and their own role to play. I'm only halfway through, but it's been the greatest company on my drive to work and on my daily runs. Uh, the typical hopping from book to book is not unusual for me, but I borrow books from my library and sometimes purchase through um, audiobook providers so that I can keep these books that I want to read over and over. When it comes to getting audiobooks, you've got a lot of options, but through Libro.fm, you can support local bookstores at no extra cost to you, which is why I make that choice. And listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. So go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter WINNER. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. So, so Juana, there's so much you're stepping into doing these illustrations. Stepping and into sounds very right. <laughs> I mean, as I, the more that Kevin was sharing, I was like, and Juana said yes to illustrate this. <laughs> so well, can you, can you walk me through what that, what that was like for you, the way you first read the manuscript and, and the consideration you gave to it? Yeah, uh, so I received the manuscript, and basically, what I my process is always the same. I mean, Stephanie sends me an email, here's a manuscript, I read it, immediately open it, I don't wait or anything, I just read it. 
And um, if I love the manuscript, I it's an easy decision. If I'm not that crazy about it, most of the time will be an 100% of the time it's a no. If I'm not sure, like if my heart is just not like completely there, it's a pass. Because yeah. uh, I'm going to spend at least two years working on, on this manuscript, right? <laughs> but the yeah. thing about the, the, the main, the main, uh, it, it was so moving. And, and I think the more I read the manuscript, the more I got into the story, the deeper I felt connected because we you know as i'm peruvian i was born and raised in peru i moved when i was 24 and i've seen i've seen how i've seen what we do to our indigenous people in peru and and when i get to the stanza where it says the about the um the about the trail of tears Mm. so it is let me see. Let me see if I can find it because it's beautiful. Oh, here. Friday's history, the long walk, the stolen land, strangers in our own land, with unknown food, we made new recipes from what we had. But those first three lines, the long walk, the stolen land, strangers in our own world, that, I mean, I felt at that point, I was like, I was a mess. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, the thing is, in in Peru, in Peru, we have we have so many different etnias and so many different indigenous groups. Yet they are not respected and they are not treated like they should. And and my dad and his dad were painters, but they dedicated their life to painting indigenous people. So that was passed on to me, right? It, I was I was taught to respect. I was taught to see the beauty of it because it's beautiful. It really is. It's so rich and, and it's so, so many things, right? And and when I read that, I was like, oh my Lord, I love this. <laughs> how could I possibly not, how could I possibly not do it? I felt I'm not, I'm not Native American, but I understand the sentiment behind. I, I hope I do. And, and that's the reason why I decided to do it. Um, and it's about it's about connecting to it so you were saying that you know when when you take it on you're going to spend all this time with it and this is just like you know I'm a professor and I tell my students I actually told someone today who wanted to do an independent study with me and I said if you're going to take on a project you have to love your project because then if you don't love it it's going to be really hard for you to write 30 pages of research on this so then, like, you have to really feel this and it has to speak to you in some certain way. So then you can have this amazing product that you really feel proud of, that you feel connected but, but I, th- to. I think it's I think it's beyond the product. It's beyond that book itself. I I think I don't see I don't see bookmaking as you're making a product. I, I don't I don't think I got to that point yet. Hmm. Maybe I will at some point, but I don't see it. I don't I'm not there yet. And, and to me is. Making a book is, I mean, it's, you're sharing part of who you are. You're mm. sharing your, your view of the world in this little book. Uh, and you're sharing it with these little people, right? Uh, the little ones and then their parents. And and, and all you want to do is, to, that. that's, I think, to me, my job as, as when I make books is sharing a part of my heart, a part of 
how I see the world or how I want to change things. Um, so it, there was a lot of worry on my part because it's, I know it's a Native American story and I'm not, not Native American, yet I felt like I could add to the message because of my upbringing and my background. So um, I hope I just, you know, all I can hope is that I I did a good job. <laughs> so, you did an amazing You job. did an amazing job. And if I could speak as, as one of your readers to both of you um, about my experience reading this book, because I've read it probably 10 plus times now, and that's before I've even gotten to be in front of children reading it. Um, just, but just in front of my own children, um, there's uh, Kevin in your text, there's truly something Beautiful. transcendent mm-hmm. going on in mm-hmm. the words. And I'm, I mean that you start with something so rooted, even if you don't have any background experience as to what fry bread is, you walk us into this concept because in this case this book is not about necessarily fry bread the food it's about fry bread the concept at least as i as i read it and we talk about fry bread is i'm going to just sort of read your kind of like your your headings of each stanza because it 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 starts off I'll, i'll i guess i'll just read a little bit um fry bread is food flour salt water cornmeal baking powder perhaps milk maybe sugar all mixed together in a bowl Fry bread is shape. Hands mold the dough, flat like a pancake, round like a bowl, or round like a ball, or puffy like Nana's softest pillow. And by bringing hands in, now we're starting to back away from this this thing and bring it back to the concept. We bring it to sound, to color, to flavor. And Juana, I'm getting so close to that page that you were talking about. We get to fry bread is time, is Art is history, is place. You're pulling us back further and further until we get to... Freibert is everything. And you're at this moment, or as, as your reader, I'm at this place thinking, where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. And there's this amazing tension. And Juana, I need you to hear that, that I see the work you did here because there's this unusual thing happening in this picture book which is that I had a hard time taking my eyes off of Kevin's words and I don't I can't really wrap my brain around that other than Mm. I was so transfixed with where the words were taking me that your art kept kept giving me a footing in the book while my head really was was filled with the universe of what was being explained to me here. And then we get to this this line, fry bread is everything. Round, flat, large, small, north, south, east, west, brown, yellow, black, white, familiar and foreign, old and new. We come together. And you're not just talking about a food. You're talking about people. You say fry bread is us. We are still here, elder and young, friend and neighbor. We strengthen each other to learn, change, and survive. Fry bread is you. 
to leave. I don't know what your manuscript journey looked like, Kevin, and I'm not going <laughs> to pretend to be able to guess. I'll look forward to hearing that from you. But to end there, to start with fry bread's this food. Let me explain to you at its most basic qualities what it is to end in a book for readers ages. I'm going to call it from my daughter reading it ages like three or four through, I don't know, let's say like 87. <laughs> so for ages three or four through 87, we start with fry bread is this thing that you eat to fry bread is you that when you're eating this food, there is a history, there is a people, there is context to this food, there's mindfulness, there's comparison to this food, there's perhaps uh, competitiveness or authenticity to this food, but there's so much there. That's, that's, that's a really powerful thing that you did there with those words, Kevin. That's a really... I mean, like I'm like tearing up as I'm trying to communicate. But I just, I just need you to hear that that from my heart. There's, there's, there's some big magic going on in this book that that you did that Juana tapped into. That the book itself, I think, is probably capturing even beyond what the both of you put into it, and that's that's a special thing. So you know what I was thinking of a lot when I was writing this version of the manuscript um, was on Google Earth, where you can start at like your city and you can zoom out and it's like, you can see your county, you can see your state, you can see your region, then the country, then the continent, and then you're getting to the whole planet, right? And then there's some of these other crazy videos that, you know, show you what, how big the known universe is, right? And it goes like from planet Earth to the solar system to the Milky Way. And then there's like all this other stuff and you're like, oh my God, we're so small, right? And there's just like these universes that are out there. And I kept thinking like, can we build up from this very basic thing of somebody you know, buying ingredients, bringing all the ingredients together and seeing how this creation of this food relates to something much more, much bigger, much larger and much more universal than what we commonly think of it as, right? Because like bread in every culture is really important, right? Whether it's like a biscuit, <laughs> if you're in the South or like um, non bread, if you're in India, it could be even like rice in some Asian cultures. But then like, it is the sustenance, right? That kind of brings everything together, right? Like, and then when you're done with all the rest of your food, like you use the bread to like scoop it all up and clean up your plate. And this is something that is very emblematic of these different cultures, like how you hold the bread and what you use the bread for and how the bread is made. It's something that is not just the, the taste itself and the sensations of eating, but, you know, it could even be like communion, right? When people go to Christian churches and, you know, they eat the wafer and then it's not just them eating this like little piece of hardened flour. 
right? But then it's like, oh, this is the blood and this is the body, right? And then kids are like, what, I'm eating blood and this is the body, right? You know, it's just like, no. But then like, you know, that is recreating some type of ritual and it's supposed to recognize something that brings everyone that's there gathered in that church for a certain reason, right? That's why all the people are there. So then like for something like fry bread, there is a history where people were removed from their homelands and then they all end up in our case in Oklahoma. So then you're in Oklahoma and then you're totally separated from everything that you knew before. Right. It's not like a voluntary move by any means. Right. They're making people walk. Right. They didn't have Uber in those days or like planes or trains or anything like that. So then everyone is forced to march out to these lands far away from their home. They have new foods. They have nothing familiar to them. But then the government is giving them kind of like, well, here you go. Here's some flour. Here's some sugar. Right. Stuff that they normally don't work with right because they had like an indigenous diet from wherever the tribe came from before so then this is something that they have these limited ingredients they are now making a new food from these ingredients i'm sure they were not handed recipe books right so then now, what can we do? How can we use what we have to make something better out of this horrific situation, right? Frybread is a survival food. And yeah. then this food now that we that how we originate from that, right? We're now we have more choices for what we want to eat. We can we have grocery stores now. We have uh, different ways that we obtain our food, but it all goes back to that original moment, however, you know, in whatever tribe, however they learned how to do this, where that is the continuity that connects our present to our past. And one thing that's crazy about native culture is that like it's very passive present in everything like how people's tribal membership is constructed it all depends on like something that happened like you know a very long time ago right your ancestors are like walking with you so one thing that's um amazing like so i follow wana on um instagram and she had this amazing post and i texted her i was like this is the best post i've seen in so long but this tech, this post was walk like you have 3,000 ancestors walking behind you. Mm. And I love that. It's so powerful, right? You know, where it's like there are all these people on your shoulders, like, you know, above you. And then you're standing on other people's shoulders, right? So it's like this amazing temporal thing that's going on where you're like, you are one moment in time. And then you are representing like all the hopes and dreams of all the people that came before you. And then you're also like holding it down for other people that are coming after you that you haven't even met yet and that you will never meet, right? Cause then it'll be like in a hundred years, another, you know, many generations will pass. And so I like to think of fry bread as kind of this one singular moment in this time structure where everybody 
is coming together. So then when Wana came up with that page where it has like, you know, it's fry bread is everything. And it's like the moon and the stars and all this grass and this huge sky. Like that's, you know, you're showing like how people are very small, but they're also a very important part of this much larger landscape, this much bigger picture than just the people themselves. It's there's so much in your art, Wana, to just gaze at. It's it's beautiful and I think that you really I think you've really listened to Kevin's words and listened to his story and found those places. There's I've admired your work before for the way that you posture your characters. But in this in this, in this you can see the joy in 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 the way the arms are held out to a, a, another character you can see the weight of history on on people's shoulders you can see tears and and i, I think about the page of of Freibetter's history where there's there's children in all different sorts of postures just sort of comforting themselves and leaning in and not sure of how to react and and um I, I think that you've really I think you've really explored so many different emotions here and given opportunity for your readers and the varied ways that they will see themselves and see others reflected in this story, you've really given them a lot of opportunity to 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 see their emotions mirrored and to to, to take moments to to connect and to see see deeper into what's being said. I mean, even just again on that history page, you've got these beautiful um, wall paintings in the back. You've got other pages where um, where the scent and the sound are, are wafting up. You've got I, I I'm so curious about toward the end when there's a the, the the girl is lifting up uh, a young child onto the counter. On that countertop, there's these these children's names that are like etched into the countertop. But there's drawings. There's all of these little details that I know you thought about when you were making this book. And so I think I just want to say, I see you, Lana, and I see the thought mm. that you put into this, and it's 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 beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I, you know, the, the thing about work is that the more it, it may feel like, <clears throat> like being a specific could turn people away or distance people from the work. But I, I, I think it's exact, the exact opposite is in a specificity that you, you find you know, this little tiny space where you are being very specific about, I don't know, sound, skin tone, uh, family, all these different things that make a person who they are. And you're putting it on a paper and then you will think that that will make it more difficult for people to connect. But it, but it's not. I think it's, it's the details, right? It's all in the details. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, there was research. <laughs> there, there was research for the book. And and, and the funniest thing is, uh, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who probably 
have said that before, but it started with like, okay, I'm going to have one. I need another character. I need another one. And then I kept adding and adding and adding. And at the end, I was like, oh, my God, why did I did so many? <laughs> All of the characters are there. You've made a family. Yeah. A family of people. And you speak of those other details. Kevin, you've done such a great job of giving us this wonderful back matter where, where you use your voice to tell us, the readers, a little bit more about fry bread is flavor and fry bread is time going through each of those moments. I, I really appreciate that, that you gave us your voice and that you told it from your experience and, and leave room for <laughs> plenty of other experiences in that. But I feel like it gives me opportunity then as a teacher to say, I don't have the knowledge of this background, but the author has shared it with us and let's, let's hear what he has to say. Yeah, so I started off as a scholar. So I have um, a law degree, and then I also have a PhD in in political philosophy. So I've, uh, you know, I've written a book, like academic books. I've written articles. I've written a lot of articles on Native identity and also multiracial identity. So this, to me, was like another iteration of the scholarship that I've always been doing, except now just the audience is like shorter, right? You know, it's like kids (laughs) instead of people on on my tenure committee. But then like, I feel that the back matter, because when we're, you know, I'm working with Connie and then uh, Megan Abate, uh, who's also the editor, and they're like, could you add a little bit more of this? And also, um, Elise uh, McMullen, uh, and they're saying like, yeah, I think you need to change a little bit of this and you need to add this. So by the time this is done, I was like, I think I've spent more on this back matter than I have <laughs> on the academic articles that I put in my tenure file. So like, I was like, I want tenure in some sort from doing this back matter, right? Because it had footnotes, right? It was totally researched I like asked other people to read it and and there were so many versions of this so I think I counted there were like 39 edits to the back matter and so you know and it's not just my personal story but it's also how can I condense this and still have it be very meaningful to this group of people that are going to read it that don't know a lot about like native culture or, you know, even people that are native might not know some of these histories. So then how can I make this accessible and interesting in a short period of time and then in a limited space? Cause it's not like, Oh, I have 50,000 words. You know, like I wrote something for like the Fordham law review, you know, where it's like a billion words long with like a thousand footnotes and stuff. <laughs> But that's not happening here, right? No one wants to read that. And so that part, it was just like a really amazing way to be like, okay, I already condensed the words into the text, the manuscript of the book. And when I was writing that, I was thinking, how can I convey, you know, numerous stories at the same time? right in the same sentence right can this be about bread can it be about 
history? Can it be about, you know, just diversity within Native culture? And then the back matter allowed me to explain that, like, without the the constraints, like, you know, the positive constraints of the, of the manuscript itself, right? Because then I can just flat out explain it without having to worry about cadence and making sure it fits in the form that, uh, that, that I had established. So all of that, you know, it was definitely a big labor of love, but that, even the back matter, compares nothing, <laughs> nothing to the end papers, which were Juana's amazing idea. And that, I would say, was the majority of the work. So I'll let Juana talk about how she came. Actually, I don't even know this story. How did you come up with the end papers where it has the names of every single yeah. tribe <laughs> in the United States? Well, you know, the, and what Debbie has on her... Um on her post, which is pretty much the truth. It's pretty much how it was. I, I normally, I normally, and it's Mr. Shu, it's on Mr. Shu's post. Mm. Um, I normally start with thumbnails and the end papers will come always at the end when I'm almost, you know, like painting already. And then I'm having ideas when I'm painting, I'm thinking about end papers and jacket and, and, you know, case and all these things. Right. But in this case, it was not, it was very early on. And I, and I think it had to do with the actual manuscript itself. Um, I don't know if you've been to the museum, the native American museum, is it a museum of American Indian in mm-hmm. um, Washington, mm-hmm. DC? Yes. Mm-hmm. And Where Debbie's back, sister works, right? I don't know. I, I don't know. That. I didn't know yeah. that either. Yep. Okay. I don't know. But back when this is, you know, this is years, years, years ago. Back when they were still building the museum, um, my dad, uh, I had my dad. They were asking for people who um, to donate money for you know funds and in if you donated a certain you know if you donated some money um you could have your name on this wall right which is basically the wall that goes if you if you it's kind of like a ramp correct and it has this wall in the middle and you you have all these names and when you go to the building which we did when we went back years later after the building was done i took my children and my husband we all went together and I wanted to find both my dad and my grandfather's name in the building. So you go to this computer and then they tell you, you put in the name and then they tell you like A3, right? And then you go and look for that area and then look for the name. But I remember clearly how we were looking for the name on the wall. And that's the same thing that I wanted to do with the end papers. I wanted to have the names so we can... We can go through them and find ourselves there or, you know, the, the native children and then their families that people could find themselves in there. So that was the idea behind the end papers. And honestly, uh, I didn't think it was going, they were going to, <laughs> I didn't think they were going to agree. And I remember clearly we had this call <laughs> schedule with Megan and Connie and Stephanie was on the call. And it was early, very early when we were like just starting to work on the book. And I said, so I have this idea for the end papers. And I'm like, I tell them the whole thing and then you can, we can have all the names. And then I, all I hear is silence. 
silence from Tony, <laughs> silence from Megan. And I go like, oh boy, nobody's saying anything. <laughs> and then I was waiting for the, I was waiting for like, no. But instead, Connie said, sure. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> and then it became, you know, it became, initially what I did was I hand wrote every single name. And I had like, I don't know, 500, 600 names that I hand wrote. But uh, we got to a point where we were worried about typos. And then there were more names added to the list because by then Kevin was already doing the research. And at that point, they said, well, we can do two things. And they had already asked me this before. I mean, you can handwrite them or we can just type. Right. And, and I said, no, I want to handwrite him. I really do want to handwrite him because part of the emotion is the fact that somebody actually sat down and wrote every single name. To me, that that was very important. So the first round went through. But then as they are going through names, they realize that we need more names and they may be typos and there will be changes. And it, this will be very difficult. So at that point I was like okay well this is bigger than me and the fact that I can't really <laughs> want to write it <laughs> so let's go to type <laughs> so that's that's the story behind the end paper but I, I'm glad I'm glad and I even like if you knew how many times I sat on photoshop and like I will write them and then I will and this is a sketches huh? I did I wrote names and then uh, went in photoshop scanned everything and then placed them and then I started doing, I will run numbers of how many I thought they were and then divide them by two and then space them so they will fit exactly in the front end paper and the back end paper because they get to look different. And they did this quite a few times before it even go to like research and then the color and everything. So there was a lot of. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Tell <laughs> them. Are... Oh, no, I was just going to say there, there are hundreds of federally recognized tribes but then this book is all about like the diversity of native america and then like where everybody is included right so then we're making this inclusive and then i was like but then there are tribes that are not federally recognized but they're recognized by an individual state and then on top of that there are other groups that have applied for recognition but they didn't get it Right. And then but they still think of themselves as native and no one's changing their mind because they're like, well, we don't need a government to tell us we're native. Mm -hmm. So then it was yeah. my idea to be like, we have to include all of these people in here that have at least tried to be recognized, even if the state said like, OK, no, your your history isn't, you know, um, continuous enough or you know all the people don't live in the same place or you don't have enough records of all of the ancestors right some there's some problem and then there have been groups that have applied multiple times and then they finally did get it right so then maybe some of the groups that are on there that didn't that are not approved now they might be approved in the future so then we're looking at this like okay someone's going to go in and try to look for their name. So we were thinking like, you know, Juana comes up with this idea and I was like, oh, you know, what if there's like this small native village in Alaska that, you know, no one has, you know, 
ever written about outside of that Alaskan village, then those people can look in this book and they could say, look, someone recognized us, right? We are here. And then like they can have that ability of, you know, like recognition for themselves. And then they can also have that satisfaction that somebody else saw them as worthy of inclusion in this volume. Well, that unwavering determination to include everyone and to to hold a space for everyone, uh, I think is, I can hear that, I can hear the labor that went into this book knowing its audience and knowing the importance of getting it right for these children who will be our leaders, who will be making space for other people in that world that we are going to grow up into and the the three of us are going to grow out of and that these children will inherit. I think that what I, I think most admire of, of talking to you both tonight is that for all the work that I, that, that is apparent that you each did uh, your part separately and together, it sounds like you are willing to do even more. It sounds like this wasn't, you know, exhaustive work and you're done and don't want to touch it. I can hear the energy and the, the excitement to do what is the continued work of getting in front of children and helping this book um, have a life in their lives, in their homes. And, and I'm really grateful to know that you both have committed so much work to this and that you've made sure that, other people, that other tribes, that other uh, groups, federally recognized or not, that, that, that they are valued and that they're valued in this permanent place in your book. That, that speaks a lot to each of your hearts. I'm thankful for that. Thank you. And, and it's a matter, I think it's a matter of feeling seen. And, and, and you know, that was the idea behind those and papers in, in a very in very few words that was the that was the idea behind it and I'm and I'm glad it, it uh, I mean if you would have asked me you know what are they going you know when you're working on a book you think of what well, maybe it's one piece that they will remember right but I would have never thought that the end papers will be that <laughs> what what you know keeps bringing people back to the to the book and I'm glad I am so very glad it, it was worth the time and the effort that, that everybody everybody in the team put. and that's you my friend that was you and your idea had you not been attached to this project this book wouldn't look the way that it does it took you both to make this book what it is and that's mm-hmm. that's it I think something that we shouldn't we shouldn't play down at all it took you both uh, but listen, I've spent so much of your time already. Oh my goodness, time has flown, and I'm I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for you both. I'm grateful, Kevin, that I had a chance to meet you and to know yes, your heart and to yeah. hear that. And Juana, I I forever am grateful for how your journey through publishing um, keeps intertwining with mine, and that I get to see your heart at every turn and in everything you touch. And I'm, I'm grateful that this was a yes for you and that you, <laughs> that you did bring 
everything to this book. All of you, you brought to it. Uh, before we go, I want to uh, give you each time with your readers. I know they've been with us all along, but to give you that final word before we say goodbye. So, Kevin, I'll ask you first. That I'll see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I could please bring to them from you? I wish I could make every kid in that room some of my fry bread <laughs> and that they would be able to taste it and that they'd be able to enjoy it. I like to see people's faces when they try it out for the first time because everyone loves it and I just love the feelings that other people have when they're able to enjoy it as much as I loved making it. Thank you. And Juana, I'll ask you, as I know I've asked you before, but I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message I can bring to them from you? Yeah, I, I, we see you. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, we see you. This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhiani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Corina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us, too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. 
The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.